Mitchell. It's great to be with you guys this morning. Um, you know, less than two weeks ago, I had the pleasure of moving here to help lead our campus ministry. And I am so pumped to be able to be with you guys spreading the gospel. Um, you know, for those who haven't gotten to know me yet, it's been awesome, like, getting to know a lot of you. I just wanted Amen. to introduce myself a little bit so that you guys aren't like, who's this weird dude with a beard that is like, yeah, anyway. So, um, you know, I am from the best state on earth, New Jersey. Come on, New Jersey! People say that it's the armpit of America, but I promise you that it is beautiful, okay? You just gotta open your horizons. If you've been in the Newark airport, I'm sorry. There's so much more. Um, but I am also a fan of the best team in the NFL, the Eagles. Come on, Eagles! Got any Eagles fans in the house? I'm going to guess even. Yes. Anyway, all right. No, that's an awkward silence, so I'm just going to take it that uh, you guys are all on the same team. And, uh, you know, I come from a great family of disciples. Uh, this is my family, uh, just so you guys get to know them. So that's Keenan, my brother, uh, my dad Dave, my mom Margie, and that's my little sister Alaire. My nickname for her is Baldy, even though she has hair. Um, and I just graduated from University of Maryland with a business degree, and uh, I was leading the campus ministry there with Phil Booker. Uh, I know a lot of you guys know Phil um, and love Phil, and so. Anyway, I'm so excited to finally be here with you guys in Charlottesville. It is awesome. And, you know, before I get into the scriptures or anything, I just want to thank you so much for welcoming me with open arms. Uh, I have just felt so loved coming into this church. This is like such a family, you know? I just like, you come in and you just feel like, oh, so hugged and loved. And you're like, oh, stop touching me. I just met you, but it's great. And, uh, you know, it's just awesome. I really have felt so pulled in, you know, from serving the elderly uh, with some of you guys to just being invited over for dinners or going to the YoPro events. Um, I just really have felt so loved. So thank you so much, guys. Give it up for yourselves for loving me uh, with the love of Christ. I felt so encouraged. Um, and so you guys can be opening your Bibles to Mark 6, uh, please. Um, you know, uh, as Stephen and some others mentioned, uh, you know, our theme for this summer has been compelled, right? It's been uh, coming out of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. It says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And you know, the idea here in the scripture is that God is just so amazing. His love is just so awesome that we can't do anything but respond. And so we've been talking about different ways that we've responded. Last week, Stephen did an incredible job about being compelled to act. When we see what Jesus has done, when we feel God's love, there's nothing we can do but act. And um, you know, today we're going to talk about uh, being compelled to look. Amen? Um, and so my hope for us today is to walk out of here empowered to really see our lives and the world around us just a little bit more closely to the way that Jesus sees them. Amen? And so, you know, this sermon's called Compelled to Look. Now, you know, the question is compelled to look for what, right? Last week, uh, me and some of the Yopros got to look a little bit in the uh, Charlottesville escape room. I'm not sure how many of you guys have gone. But basically, it's, you know, we're kind of looking around and scavenging for these clues. Um, it was a really good time. Um, but, you know, I mean, okay, that's great. But what are we compelled to look? Why does that matter, right? What, when we talk about being compelled to look, what do we mean? Um, take a look at this picture. You know, I think, I think, what do you, what do you guys see here when you look at this picture? Any, any, any thoughts? Any these? You guys see frog, right? 
Okay, how about now? You guys see something else? Anybody see something else? You guys see the horse? Yeah, it's a frog. You know, when we talk about being compelled to look, I think a more accurate title for it might be compelled to see. Because a lot of us, you know, we can see the same thing and yet, and we can look at the same thing and yet see two different things, right? Um, you know, I... You know, when we see this picture, I think depending on our perspective with which we see, uh, we, can, we can observe two different things here. And, um, and I think that's why, you know, when Jesus was on earth, he said to many in the crowd that uh, they were ever seeing but never perceiving. Right? When he was on earth and when he preached and when he taught, he said, you know, you, you're ever seeing but you're never perceiving. And so I think that's why Jesus talked about we need new wineskins. Right? When we come into Jesus, when we come into the presence of Jesus, we have to have new wineskins. We have to have a fresh perspective because if we're coming in with the wrong perspective, we could look at something and see differently than God wants us to see. And so, um, you know, as we who are exposed to Jesus' words today, we need to be careful that we're constantly cleaning the lenses with which we see so that we can look and see the way that Jesus saw. And so as we read in Mark 6 here, you know, we're going to learn from the master seer, Jesus. We're going to look at someone who has had the, the most pure, perfect perspective that's ever walked the earth. Um, and as we learn from him, we want to learn how we can understand his perspective and how we can imitate it in our lives today. And so as we're coming into this passage here, just to kind of give you some context, you know, uh, we're coming into a pretty tumultuous time of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has been expending himself on behalf of the lost sheep of Israel um, to a, a really exhausting extent. This is kind of the prime of his ministry, um, and his disciples have just been out serving, preaching, teaching, helping, healing. And, um, and Jesus actually, in the midst of all of this hard work and loving people and, and giving himself, has just received the news that uh, his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. Uh, he's been decapitated. Um, not for crime or a murder, but actually um, because he was preaching the truth about the kingdom of God. And I think Jesus hearing of John's death uh, would have been really traumatic for him. You know, John was the one that was prophesied to come before Jesus and really show people the light, make level paths so that Jesus could be proclaimed. Jesus even said of him that among women, there was no one born greater than John uh, among those born of women. And and, and so to see that his cousin, you know, had been, had been decapitated, um, you know, was not only probably shocking and, and challenging, but then that probably reminded him of his death coming to, coming to pass in a short time. And so it's kind of with this intense and exhausted time of life that we pick up in the life of Jesus in verse 30. And so... Um, we're going to be reading out of the ESV version here. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them, and going and recognizing them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass so that they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. My first point that today, if we're going to see like Jesus, we have to look out. You know, with what Jesus was going through, I don't think any of us would have blamed him for taking some time away with the closest men in his life to withdraw and get rest, right? I mean, these guys were serving tirelessly. And we see in this passage that Jesus, even Jesus, the almighty creator of the universe, was in need of just some me time, right? And so he pulls away with these guys. And we don't know how long he was out there with the disciples. But, you know, before he starts to see land, you know, what do you think it must have been like to slowly start to pull up, right, and and get to this place and then all of a sudden appears thousands of pounds upon thousands of people waiting for you to meet their needs, right? Come on. You know, in a, I, was, I was doing some research, and uh, Megan McKenna suggests in her book, Not Counting Women and Children, because that's one thing that's remarked, is that there was 5,000, not, not including women right. and children, right. uh, said that the size of the crowd would be much larger, potentially yep. twice the size Absolutely. of our summits. Uh, they said the ratio of women and children to adult women, adult men would have been about five to one or six to one. Wow. And so could you imagine 20,000 people on the shore waiting for you to meet their needs, right? Um, you know, what would be the first feeling that you had when you saw those people on the shore in the boat? Right? I'd be like, turn the boat around! Like, they can't see us, right? Get out of here! What the heck? Oh my gosh, right? My first inclination would not be to look at all these people and have compassion. I, I would be like, look, I, I need some time. This was really hard. You know what I mean? I'll get there. I know, I made you, right? But I, ah, like... I think my first inclination would not have been able to see their needs with compassion, but to look to myself, right? The first first inclination of my heart would be to look at myself. You know, Jesus could have easily gotten locked into self-focus in this moment. He could have been thinking, man, this is so unfair. This is so unfair. Why do I have to meet all the needs of these people, right? He could have thought, woe is me. Can't I catch a break? You know, I need to have healthy boundaries for myself, right? 
don't they understand what I'm going through? You know, I just, I don't think I'm strong enough right now. You know, I think Jesus could have had all of these thoughts, but when he saw them, something changed. You know, when you see this planet, what comes to mind? When you look at it, what do you see? You know, from afar, it looks pretty peaceful, right? It's like, oh, man, that's nice. Um, But we know that the closer you zoom in to any place on Earth, the darker it gets, right? You know, the closer you look, the more you begin to see pain, right? You, You begin to see war. You see destruction, suffering, divorce, natural disasters, heartbreak, hunger and thirst. You see sin, right? The closer we zoom into that planet, right? Especially that top part right around there. You know, we just, we start to see some issues, right? We start to see some real challenges. And, you know, I think the closer that we get to these issues, it it can be easy. The the further removed we kind of want to become from them, right? The closer that we see the issues, the further we kind of want to remove ourselves. um, Because we focus on ourselves. You know, when you see something, when you look at something, you kind of automatically make a connection with it, right? Right? See what I'm saying? If I, make a, if, I, if I look at something, now I've made a connection, right? It's, when we look, we, we, make, we make a real connection. And, you know, to my shame, I think a lot of the times I don't want to look, right? I want to close my eyes when I start to see a challenge because I don't want to connect with it because it's uncomfortable, right? Um, you know, like the disciples, I think there's been times where I've been like, send them away. You know, I... I or I've walked on the other side of the road, like the Pharisee and the Levite, when they see there's, there's a person that's suffering, right? And, um, you know, sometimes it's because I've got stuff to do, or I'm on my phone, or I just, I'm just, I just don't want to connect with that. I don't want to be burdened with another thing, another problem I have in my day. Um, and I think one area I've specifically been really guilty of this is with, um, sometimes with the whole homeless population. Um, you know, I think one of the, it can be one of the things that makes me the most uncomfortable when I see someone that really has a need in front of me. Um, you know, a lot of times there's, there's a sight and a smell and, you know, they ask me to meet a need. They ask me to give them money or give them a ride or give them something. And instead of being compassionate, I can get really focused on myself, right? Uh, you know, I can think, man, I don't have time or I don't have money or, you know, I don't want to make eye contact. I don't want to look. Um, I just want to keep walking. Um, but I want to show you guys a video that really changed my perspective on how I walk by when someone has a need. So Come check, on, take a look at this. My name is Ronald Davis. I've been around the street for about a year and a half, man. Well, I come from the suburbs. I mean, I slept in a little whacker. I slept on the bridges. I didn't slip in the in little cardboard boxes and stuff, you know, just surviving, especially in the wintertime is the hardest time. And like, uh, I go to uh, fill out applications for a job and stuff, they look at me, you know, I'm not looking presentable, and then they, well, we'll call you, leave a number, but how can I leave a number when I don't have a phone? So, I, it's just a struggle out there, you know, I just, you know, from day to day, people, uh, I come out here and panhandle with my cup, Right here at the metro train station, people come out, bring them in sandwiches and stuff like this here. And uh, I start out in my morning by 6 o'clock. You know, sometimes I don't even have enough 
to go to the flop house. You know, sometimes the flop house is a cheap place and they number 16 bucks for 24 hours right over there on Clark and Van Buren. And uh, a lot of times I don't have enough money for that, so I had to end up sleeping in the park or on one of these benches downtown or something like this. And then the security guards come and run you off about five or six in the morning. So by six o'clock I started panhandling and trying to survive. And uh, like I said before, some days I don't even have enough to get a room, so I just sleep on the sleep street. But I depend on the people that's coming off the train because most of them I give them respect. You know, most of them like me. They come out and give me clothes and food and stuff like this here, so I can survive. Give me a few bucks and everything, and I add it up at the end of the day and get me a little room for the night. And whenever I'm not fortunate enough to get the room, I just sleep in the street wherever I can. It's really humiliating to be shaking a cup 24 hours a day, and people just look at you like you some kind of little bum. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I have had people to walk past me and say, "Get a job, bum." And I said, wait a minute, I'm not a bum, I'm a human being. And and it's, and it's hard. But after the end of the day, when, when people go home and everybody get on the metro train and they might, and then I just, feel so bad that I can't be going on, you know. I mean, I'm sorry. But uh, it's really emotional because I'm really trying to get myself together and get off this tree, you know. I, mean, I don't care what it's doing. If I can get a job and through this humility, you know, I mean, you just lose all your humility when you're shaking a cook bag and, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, you know, I mean, you know, you can look at a person and tell if they, Getting you respect tonight, you know what I mean? A lot of people look at you like you're just a, a piece of chrome, you know? I had one guy walk past me and talk about me so bad, and then I just looked at him. I said, God bless you, sir. He walked past and went, went down the street, come right back. And he said, you know what, man? I had a bad day. He said, I'm sorry for even calling you that. He said, because I know you're a human being. He said, would you accept my party? I said, party accept it. He went in his pocket and gave me 30 bucks and said, go get your room and get you something to eat. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, no matter what people think about me, I know I'm a human person. And just because I'm down on my luck, don't give nobody no excuse to call me no ball. Because I'm not. Mm. You know, I think when we look out, we don't see the whole picture, right? And uh, I think we can quickly look with flawed assumptions when we're, when we're looking out. But, you know, I think when Jesus sees this, and he sees everyone on it, he sees the very thing that he's cherished since the day he created him. You know, when Jesus saw a person, his perspective and what he was able to see was different than ours. He, from the beginning of time, made us just like him and created this crazy plan, right? Not just to look from afar, but to get up close and personal and to look at us on an eye level, man to man, to help us know him and experience him. You know, when he walked on earth, he remembered every single person's first words and first steps. Consider the scripture. Oh, yeah. Get there in a second. Um... 
You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my, my mother's womb. You know, do you realize that God being outside of time could have taken an eternity to craft the corner of someone's smile and just appreciate it? Like, when he created someone, he knew that every person he made was another reason he had to die and another reason that made the cross worth it. And when he looked out on that shore, he knew every aching belly. Yep. And he knew every hungry heart that needed love. You know, recently I was just so inspired even just by the account of the cross and seeing Jesus look out even in the midst of the most suffering he could have possibly been going through. And it just blew me away. You know, during the cross he looks out to the Romans and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right? He, He looks out to the women that are crying for him and he says, look, cry for yourselves because Jerusalem's about to fall. He looks out to his mother and, and gives her a new son to take care of her. Mm-hmm. And he even looks right and saves the, cre- the thief on the cross. And even, in, and when he, when he's, even when he's arrested, he heal, healed the, the servant of the high priest's ear, right? I mean, Jesus was yeah, so, that's right. he looked out. Yeah. He didn't look to himself. I think the reason that Jesus was able to access compassion in this moment of hardship is the same reason a mother can summon strength to get up for the eighth time in the night to comfort a crying child. It's because when Jesus sees you, he sees this. This is what he wants, right? When the object of your desire needs help, you lay down anything then and there to meet the need. There was nothing more precious to Jesus than people. And even with all that he was going through, the sheep always came before the life of the shepherd. You know, we don't know what people have been through, but we know that everybody needs this. Everybody needs the love of Jesus. And, you know, (laughs) the question that we have to ask ourselves is, you know, we might not have cash on us, right? We might not have a church card on us, but you always have the love of Jesus on you. And I think the, the question is, are we going to look out? Come on. And are we going to share it? Or will we turn the boat around because we think we're too important for that? You know, the reason that we have a hard time loving these people, I think, is because we forget that we're that sheep. Come on, right? Where would you be without the love of Jesus today? Where would you be without Jesus looking out on you today? You know, part of the reason I decided to come to this ministry... Um, it was Sunday morning before I came to my first church service here, and I was just on a prayer walk, and I, I had the chance to walk through grounds the day before. Um, and I remember that I just started praying about these students, and I just started crying. And I like was like, what the heck is going on? Um, but I think the thing that just resonated with me so deeply is like when I saw them, I saw myself, because my whole life I've been trying to perform and accomplish and and finally prove that I was something, you know what I mean? I was bullied as a kid, and I was super unathletic and all this stuff, so I'd worked so hard, you know what I mean, to kind of prove to everyone else and prove to myself that I wasn't this thing. Um, And I know that there's so many people out there that are trying to accomplish it all, you know what I mean, and are trying to make everything 
perfect and make their lives just like exactly what they can be so they can finally feel like they are something. Um, and maybe they even have done a lot of things, but I know that those things never deliver. And, and a lot of those people still wake up deciding, like, do I want to keep on living this yeah, week? Right. You know? That's right. um, and I think Jesus, he saw me, right? And he looked out on my suffering. And now I have to be willing to get out of my bubble and look too. And to be able to see the ugliness. Um, and give it a hug, like Jesus, you know? And I think that's true for all of us. But, you know, once we look out, the next thing we got to do is we got to look at you know, you might be feeling right now like, Seth, you know, I'm super inspired by this. This is awesome. Jesus is amazing. But how do I start seeing people this way? Come on. Right? And, you know, never fear. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't always see like Jesus does either. Um, and I love this story because the disciples are having a really hard time seeing like Jesus sees, right? When Jesus has all this compassion, these guys get out of the boat and they're like, Send the people away. Like, just go. They, let them go take care of themselves, right? But Jesus, being the master seer and the master trainer that he is, gently helps their hearts so that they can learn to see like he sees. Um, and so I want to encourage you, if you're feeling overwhelmed, right? So did the disciples. And Jesus can help you to see just like he helped them to see, okay? Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, cool. Um, and so... You know, I think the reason, like we said, we don't look at the world like Jesus does is because we get distracted with ourselves. And sometimes that's because we're being selfish and lazy and we're on our phones. But I think other times it's kind of like we're kind of like this, right? Where we just feel like I've got a million things going on, right? I mean, this guy, I feel so bad for him, right? He's like doing the groceries. He's trying to be a good husband, right? He's like, all right, I'm going to go encourage my wife. I got the, like, gift on the right, I got the groceries on the left, and then, uh, you know, I got my kid, I'm trying to be a good dad, and then, you know, I'm trying to do all my work and make sure that I'm, you know, following up with people and being excellent, you know, maybe the laptop is his quiet time, I'm not really sure, and then, you know, he's got the basketball, he's getting ready for the basketball tournament, right? Um, but I think, you know, I, he's, he's like, he's just on the move, right? And so he's... He's trying to, he, you know, asking him to go help feed these 5,000 people would be like, ah! And I think sometimes we can kind of be like that, right? Um, you know, Jesus, these disciples, you know, they saw a crowd of thousands upon thousands of people, maybe 20,000 people. I mean, you got to think this is like World Discipleship Summit size, potentially. And Jesus is like, you give them something to eat. And they're like, huh? Like, I think they just kind of short-circuited, right? They're like, what do you mean? You know, like, is this some kind of riddle that I need to go figure it out? Is this a parable or something? Like, what are you talking about? They're like, Jesus, are you crazy? How do you, how are we supposed to do this, right? But I appreciate so much how Jesus responds. He says, go and see what you have. He says, look in. What do you have? I think sometimes we can feel like the problems we face are so big that what happens as a result is we worry yeah. over all we need to, our worry over the, over the future clouds our vision in the now, right? Our worry of the future clouds our vision in the now and makes it so narrow that we can't see the opportunities right in front of us to meet the need. And so we just end up doing nothing, right? And we just end up keep on running and yet missing these opportunities that God has for us. 
And, you know, I think it seems kind of silly, honestly, like the disciples have the living God, all almighty, in front of them. And they're running around freaking out like a bunch of sissies because they can't figure out how to give these people something to eat. And, you know, but I think we've all been there in our relationship with God, right? Have you ever felt like you don't have enough time or energy to share your faith, right? You know, have you ever felt like, man, how am I going to serve the poor or... You know, attend all this church stuff and tithe and go to all the, my kids' sports games and have a quiet time and do taxes and bills and groceries and laundry and all these different things. And, you know, they're doing the math. They're tired. They're critical. They're like, this is going to cost 200 denarii, right? This is going to be too experience. This is going to be too expensive. You know, how do you feel about fulfilling this scripture by the end of the year? John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. How do you guys feel about finishing up that scripture by the end of your year this year? All right, you guys just need to go and do greater things than Jesus by the end of this year. You guys feeling ready to do that? Right? I mean, it's like the same short circuit. Like, what? How am I supposed to do that? And I think here's the encouraging thing. Jesus didn't say, go look and find everything that you need to meet this need and feed these people. He said, what do you have right now? What, what if you chose to take 25% of the time you spend worrying about the future on a given day and use it instead to get creative about how you can serve in Jesus and other people right now? Like what if you took 25% of all the anxiety that you spend worrying about the future and just used that energy that you're using there and just applied it to get creative about how you could serve Jesus right now? What would that do for your relationship with God, right? We, we can overcomplicate the heck out of things and forget that Jesus is with us, Amen. right? And so we're like, oh, man, I got to change the whole world. I got to baptize all UVA, JMU, everybody, Harrisonburg. Okay, cool. You know, all right, but what about right now? You know, there's a story, um, you know, I, and I think that that overwhelmness is like, okay, but let me just start by sending that text to that brother or sister that really needs it. Or I love even what Edwin was saying. Like, look, I got this person at the checkout line. Like, I can share my faith with this person, right? Um, you know, there's a story that just helps me when I get overwhelmed trying to solve all these problems. It says, uh, a young girl was walking along the beach upon which thousands of starfish had been washed up during a terrible storm. When she came to each starfish, she would pick it up and throw it back into the ocean. People watched her with amusement. She had been doing this for some time when a man approached her and said, Little girl, why are you doing this? Look at this beach. You can't save all these starfish. You can't begin to make a difference. The girl seemed crushed, suddenly deflated. But after a few moments, she bent down, picked up another starfish, and hurled it as far as she could into the ocean. Then she looked up at the man and replied, Well, I made a difference for that one. <laughs> the old man looked at the girl inquisitively and thought about what she had done and said. Inspired, he joined the little girl in throwing the starfish back into the sea. You know, you can spend your time thinking about all the reasons why the mission is impossible, or you can start solving the problem now. You know, a few couple, just these are helpful questions to ask yourself on a daily basis. What is the loaf that I can give to God today in faith? What is, what's the loaf that I have? All right, I might not have 200 denarii worth, but what's the loaf I have today that I can give to God? 
What is the love that I can hand out today to someone else? Right? I think by doing this, we can avoid the overwhelm and you know, self-focus and, and really focus on glorifying God right now. Amen? Amen? But if this is going to make a difference, we need to look up. You know, our little efforts in this world may or may not amount to much in this life. But the impact with Jesus can be eternal and exponentially multiplied. You know, Jesus sets the example in such an inspiring way in this passage. Instead of just looking to his own power to solve this problem, even though he was totally capable of doing so, he looks up and prays, pointing glory to God before beginning to multiply what had been given to him, right? I mean, this is Jesus. He looks up. Right. And he's like, God, thank you so much for, you know, taking care of all these people. And then he starts to multiply it, right? And he wanted to make sure that there was, that what was about to happen wasn't just credited to him, but was credited to the Father who gave him this power to defy the laws of physics and create more where there was none left. And I think without Jesus, you know, the apostles sharing this five loaves and two fish, we know that they hadn't been able to eat. You know, we don't know how long they were on the boat, but I'm pretty sure it was the same situation. And it would have been an inspiring example of generosity, right? I mean, to give away their five loaves and two fish when they hadn't eaten. But, you know, it wouldn't have met the need. There was a lot more people that were hungry on that shore. But Jesus redefines possible. When we look through the eyes of Jesus, what is possible changes. You know, he took something that could never happen with man alone and did something miraculous. And Jesus can do the same thing today. That scripture, that you could do greater things, that's really true. The Bible is actually true. We just have to believe that it's true. Right? And I think, you know, what situations do you need to do a little more looking up in? You know, looking up in faith changes our perspective. You know, for me, honestly, I was convicted. I was looking at the, uh, the story of the, uh, the persistent widow. Right? And how she just never ceases. Right? And, he, and, and I'm like, man, I, <laughs> like, I just stopped looking up. I, I, you know, for me specifically, there was some members of my family, um, not pictured there, but other family, um, that I just had a hard time believing that they could become Christians. I don't know if anybody else has a family situation like that, but yeah. I'm pretty sure a lot of us have, have different family members where we're just like, that guy's going to become a Christian, you know? Um, and, so I was just struggling, but I was convicted. I was like, man, I just got to start looking up and giving my loaf this year. You know what I mean? To see what God does. You know, I, I might not be able to change these people, but I can give God what I have. I can give these people what I have. And so I had to make some impossible prayers for this year. I got four impossible prayers for this year. I'm going to keep them between me and God. Right. But for you, what are your impossible prayers for this year? What are your impossible prayers? What do you only have to, what is God going to do when you give him his lo- when your loaf and you look up? What could God do if we just decided to believe that that was possible? You know, um, one encouraging story from earlier this summer, I was in Virginia Beach on the Hampton Roads internship, uh, which was super fun. Tiffany was with me and Sam was with, with me. And uh, yeah, we had a blast. Um, but, you know, we're sharing our faith so much that sometimes you get to a place where you're kind of like, send the people away. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, send them away. Let them get their own thing to eat. Like, it's hot. I'm tired. I don't want to be outside, but I am. I'm sweating. Like, when I introduce myself to this person, I'm pretty sure, like, I just, like, like their hand is just, like, covered in water at this point from, like, the sweatiness of my body. And, uh, and so, you know, you just kind of get to this place. But, 
What's so cool is, uh, you know, I, I, one day I met a guy named Luke, and, uh, you know, I just asked him to study the Bible, and uh, it was so cool. Like, our team, like, all four guys were in this Bible study with him, and we studied out what did it mean to be a disciple? What did it mean to be a Christian? And he's like, well, I'm, well, if this is what a Christian is, I'm definitely not a Christian. And, uh, you know, the, as I got to know him, I asked him if I could share his story, but, I mean, this dude was homeless for a long time. And, um, you know, he was actually, he was just in the hospital about four days before that with this, like, really serious, like, like, potentially, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but basically it's like this brain thing that's, like, really bad. Um, and he's, and he's sitting in the, in the, in the, in the doctor's office and he's just talking with the doctor about his life and just like, man, I just, like, I hope that there's, like, more, basically. And, um, the doctor's like, I don't know what that is, but I think you're going to, whatever that is, that's going to, that's going to happen soon. And then four days later we meet him and like last Thursday, he just became a Christian. And it was so inspiring. It was so cool. I was like, what the heck God, like, this is so amazing. But I think it's just a testament to like, I wasn't, I didn't finish the Bible studies with him, but, but God just used my loaf. I just had that loaf in that moment. I gave it to him and God multiplied it. And now he's our brother in Christ. Isn't that awesome? It's like so inspiring to see. And like, he's just so different now. It's so cool. I was talking to him on the phone yesterday. I was just like, oh God, this is amazing. Um, But you know, I think God, the glory is always God's for the miracles we get to see in our lives. Um, It's, it's always so inspiring when we get our, give our love to God. He always makes sure that we're taken care of too. You know, how many apostles were in this story? Anybody? 12, yes. How many basketfuls were left over at the end? 12, right? They gave five loaves to fish. They each came back with a basketful. Now, hopefully the baskets weren't like this big, but I kind of doubt it. Um, but they, they came back with more than they'd, than they'd given, right? I think what's so cool is, you know, sometimes I think that we can fear that if we give to God, there won't be anything left to us. You know, like, oh, like I've done enough. Like if I give you any more... What's going to happen, you know? I think the disciples easily could have fallen into this. They had five loaves, two fish. They hadn't eaten yet. I bet they were probably saving that for themselves. But they gave it to Jesus in faith, and they walked away with so much more than, than they could have had for themselves. And so I just want to encourage you guys, you know, what greater thing can, can Jesus do this year with your little loaf if you offer it to him? Um, and I, I want to encourage you, just be compelled. Church, as we close out, you know, let's remember to look out with compassion. Let's look in to see what we can give Jesus, and let's look up for his provision to multiply. And I know that God will do immeasurably, immeasurably more than we ask or imagine if we do that. Amen? Amen. 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 Thanks. Amen.